and a very good welcome. Welcome along. It is the gardening programme here. I'm, I was really organised all morning and now I'm a bit scattered. Maura Corkin, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Deirdre. I have that, I have that uh, effect on you most do, people. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just you this morning now. There's other factors at play, uh, let me tell you. Well, good morning. How are things? Great. It's been a super week, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, last week, of course, you were saying we were really heading into an incredible week of weather. We That came to pass. It really was just you give me glorious. credit for that, are you? I'm just saying that you were able to read the weather forecast in <laughs> yeah, advance. Exactly. I know. You were spot on the money. And I mean, really, people were out and about. And um, I suppose what we were talking about maybe a little bit was that, and I noticed this in my own area as well, um, that people were really really sitting outside in the evenings and stuff, you sure know, are. and I suppose that's when you get to an opportunity to really enjoy what's out in the garden. Enjoy the garden, absolutely. And mo- a lot of plants as well have really benefited. I mean, we've had such great growth all spring mm. that many plants like roses and, and hydrangeas and fuchsias and so on, uh, you know, they're loaded with flower buds and this week has really brought them to the fore. So we're seeing a huge amount of plants come into flower. And I suppose that was something I was wondering about as well during the week, because I have some pots, uh, some flowers and pots now not that many as we know but they are growing right, yeah, yeah and there are some of those easy flowers and oh, they, yeah. they look very well and they're flowering uh, the ones, yes they are indeed um, but it occurred to me uh, where I had a pretty busy week now and I have to be honest the flowers were on top of my agenda but um, I was trying to make sure to get out and make sure they got a bit of water Absolutely. because just yeah. the temperatures were and they you could see they were bone dry yeah and plants in containers in pots and containers even a day like today that's relatively dull mm. but but you've, you still we've we're still getting that kind of northerly wind and people will feel that in the evening time that little bit cooler sharper wind that's drying plants out so anything in containers in tubs in pots shrubs or trees or flowering plants hanging baskets anything like that really needs plenty of water at this time of year certainly you need to be watering them possibly every second day and liquid feeding is the other thing that people should be doing so as we're getting this the high temperatures plants are coming into flower if you liquid feed once a week from now on you get tremendous colour new growth and on that new growth you get lots of flowers as well so regular watering would be very very important and also if people planted plants say in the last two to three months mm. go out and put a good heavy uh, splash of water on say new hedges or new trees or new roses anything that has been planted say since February early March will need watering now because the dry weather is promised right up it's going to break slightly next the middle of next week Tuesday Wednesday a light bit of rain but it's very light it's millimetres really right. and we're back into good weather for for next weekend again so we're going that sustained dry period and any bit of rain even a heavy shower is only going to tickle the surface of the soil so any newly planted plants any plants in tubs and containers um, they need to be really well watered veg in the garden if you've got vegetable plants again keep an eye on those because again they're putting on a lot of bulk at the moment and will need plenty of water potatoes if the soil looks dry good idea again put on a sprinkler in the evening time give them a good heavy soaking and so you know rather than a kind of a light splash you're better to put on the hose put on a sprinkler and leave it on an area for maybe 20 minutes half an hour to really soak that area and let the water penetrate down into the soil and fruiting plants blackcurrants gooseberries they're all fruiting very well at Mm. the moment apple trees um, and so on they're all really fruiting well so again just keep an eye on the water levels that because we are going to get another 10 days of dry weather so plants are going to start to suffer and anything that's flowering or fruiting as I always say use copious amounts of water mm. so the berries are swelling so they, to swell they need plenty of moisture it makes common sense so keep them, them well irrigated the other thing I've noticed is there's a lot of um, insect activity at the moment actually my mother mentioned that to me 
And I had a gentleman waiting outside the studio for me this oh, morning really? okay. with, a, with, a, with a branch of a tree that was covered in aphids. So what, typically what we're seeing is, and you'll notice it on, on again, it, look at aphids, nature is taking its course at the moment. There's a lot of uh, black fly and green fly and, and white fly being born at this time of year and they're going out onto the new growth of plants. So you'll see it on trees, trees even like sycamore. You'll notice that the leaves have gone very sticky and that's a, sh- a huge sign that the aphids... So when you see that sticky substance on the on plants, that's a, an eye, uh, a real indication that the green fly are working away because they're sucking the protein out of the plants and that's what they excrete onto the leaf afterwards. Um, so keep an eye on that. And of course, if you are spraying, be very mindful of the bees because bees are very active at the moment. They're visiting any plant that's in flower. Shouldn't be treated with any insecticide. Okay. So if you've got, um, you know, particular flowers that are, are blooming at the moment, leave those alone if you can at all. Um, so be very careful in the use of insecticide. Keep Be mindful of the bees. They're, they're very active at the moment. They're doing a lot of good work at the moment, pollinating plants. And so be very careful in, 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 in what you, any sprays that you use. Try to get bee friendly if you have to use something or just particularly flowering plants, leave them alone until they go out of flower and then treat them. Okay, and are there bee-friendly sprays available? There are there are indeed, but I suppose the best thing to do is just to avoid spreading, right, yeah. particularly for plants. Bees will only visit plants that are in flower. So anything that's blooming at the moment obviously is going to be an attraction to a bee, particularly single flowers, single blooms. Um, so avoid those if you can. And... Um, that's probably the best advice and, and really keep the treatments to, to plants that have gone out of flower. Okay. So so keep an eye out for that. I also noticed that roses have, have actually come into flower oh, brilliantly at the moment. Uh, really well. I've noticed that myself. Um, my next neighbour, not me, has some lovely roses <laughs> and my mum has a few as well. And um, I was out with her during the week and they really are coming into absolute beautiful bloom. Yeah, and this heat now will really, mm. really bring them on. And if you've got fragrant roses, I noticed that they're really strong as this well at the minute. scent is very, mm. very strong. Well, when you get the sunshine, when you get that really bright heat, it brings out the nectar. And I suppose the plants are trying to attract the the butterflies and, and the bees to pollinate the bloom. So it's a, it's it's nature working at, at its best. A good tip for, for roses at the moment is, again, if you want to use something organic and that's very bee-friendly, is to use a product called Garlic Wonder, which is the extracts of garlic. Um, a lot of the growers are now using it, particularly for roses. Um, and it really, what it does, it's not that it's an insecticide or a fungicide in, its, in, in particular, but the garlic properties builds a lot of strength into the plants. It increases vigour and it makes them far more um, immune to pest damage and and disease damage. So the growers are finding that very effective and it's it's a simple solution. You you buy it as a concentrate, you mix it up in water and you apply it onto the around the base of the rose and you can apply it to the foliage as well. It's also very good for fruit and vegetables. Again, if you've got things like carrot root fly, cabbage root fly, any of those sort of pests that may damage caterpillars, for example, on cabbage, it's probably one of the safest ways of uh, protecting your plants. So that's a, a product called Garlic Wonder and this type of weather would be ideal to get that on as well and of course that's a very bee-friendly plant as well. Okay. And very, very effective. So they're the type of things at, at the moment. Um, the other thing is it's actually very still very good weather for planting. So, you know, the soil conditions are still, you go down six, eight inches, there's pl- still a good degree of moisture in the soil. The soil is very, very warm as well. Mm. So getting in bedding plants at the moment, getting in hedges, planting roses even at this time and of year. And if you're sowing seeds, are you going to get very quick germination? At you the are as long as you water. Right. As long as you water them. You know, if you put down um, some, and you can still put down annual seeds, or I think I mentioned last week, you can sow plants for next year. Things like um, the spring wallflowers, the forget-me-nots, the double daisies, sweet william can be sown 
grown at this time of year um, and also all the perennial plants the, the lovely lupins and foxgloves and delphiniums all of those can be sown from seed so it's a good time of year to be doing uh, the sowing of seed taking cuttings from plants as long as you're keeping them watered obviously that's they'll, they'll do very well but also the planting um, the planting of plants can still be done we often think when it gets very dry maybe to hold back on the planting but it's actually the soil conditions are good for planting and the other thing I would recommend uh, is, to, is to prune back hedges at the moment so if you've got green laurel which I know you have Oh uh, and boy is it growing uh, Yeah well this is this is actually a really and we're often asked what's, when's the, great, yeah. the best time to prune Lilantii back right. or um, Grisolinia or laurels, any of the ever, evergreen hedges, prune them at this time of year. And the, the, the reason for that is that they've made the first fl- flush, flush of growth, as you know. So if you've got, you've got the first kind of six, eight yeah. inches of growth. If you tr- prune them now, it's like putting them on a short diet. You're actually taking away some of their food source and it helps to slow down the growth and by and so you're taking the vigor out of the plant yes. first of all and secondly by pruning them now they'll kick back into growth and they'll put on a nice carpet of foliage before autumn awesome. or winter so they'll look really good rather than leaving it leaving it to say August or September and cutting them then and, they, and them looking very naked for the winter you'll actually give them enough time to put on a flush of new growth so you're doing two things you're, you're tidying up the plant yeah. you're giving it an opportunity to put on new growth for the winter but also you're taking the vigor out of the actual plants as well. So that's a good tip. This time of year, perfect conditions for, for pruning back. Uh, so laurels, privet, grisolinia, lelandii, all of those plants, great time Brilliant. Uh, to, to, to prune them back. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's on the to-do list, not this weekend, but I can guarantee it's going to get done next yeah. weekend. Well, there you go. And, yeah. and the growth is quite soft. So it's very easy it trim. Is, yeah, yeah. It's very, very they, easy uh, trim. Definitely the laurels, uh, my laurels anyway, are uh, have grown enormously in the yeah. last... Six weeks. Yeah, well, yeah. the growth that you'll find that the, the young stems are still very, very green. So mm. easy trim, really good time. And within two weeks, they'll actually have come back into growth again and they'll put that uh, initial, you know, kind Bit, of foliage yeah, back, back, back on. The other thing I will be doing uh, coming certainly up to the end of, of June is pruning back apple trees. Seems like a funny time to be doing it, but all the whippy growth that they've made over the last four or five, six weeks. So mm-hmm. on typically on apple trees, you'll find that on the top growth, there'll be long maybe fush two feet stems of new growth with no apples or no fruit on them and that that growth should be shortened back by about 50% and again you're doing exactly the same thing you're taking the vigour out of the fruit trees Mm -hmm. so you're slowing down the growth and you're encouraging the plant to switch from producing vegetative growth which is stem growth into flower buds for next year so you're kind of giving the plant a bit of a shock that's what actually happens. So it's lost half its 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 branch, its its new growth. The tree itself is is gets into a kind of a small shock from that, and that triggers the plant to switch into producing flower buds for next year. So at the end of June, the first week of July, that's the time to prune back fruit trees. It seems like a funny time to do it. Yeah. We always associate well, it with winter time. Yeah, well, you presume you're going to wait until the fruit has yeah, well, occurred and well, uh, s- that uh, and all has been taken off it. And you see, everything you're trimming back has no fruit anyway because right. it's all this year's yes, growth. Course, yeah. So any new growth that is made, and again, it's going to be soft, so it's easy to trim it back. Any new growth, so if it's two feet long, shorten it back to a foot. If it has grown three feet, take it back to 18 inches. Or if it only makes, say, a foot of growth, bring it back to six inches. So shorten it back by 50%, whatever growth has made this year. Okay. We're also going to be coming up to the time for picking fruit. So gooseberries, for example, are doing brilliant at are the they? moment. 
huge amount crop this year. So we're coming up to the time, say, certainly in the next two weeks where you're going to be taking the gooseberry uh, fruit off the plants. Blackcurrants are full of fruit as well and they'll be ripening as we come into July. So a good tip when you're taking the fruit, rather than going around and just picking the berries off, it's a good idea actually to prune out that stem. So when you're looking at your blackcurrant bush yes. plant, take those stems that have all the fruit on them and follow them back nearly to ground level and cut the actual stem with the fruit on it and then take the, the fruit off. So you're actually harvesting the fruit and pruning the plants back all in the one go. Right. So yeah. lots of jobs done. Plenty to do. Yeah, great stuff. Well, Plenty to do and perfect weather conditions to do to it. To do it in. All right. Well, I think uh, people have lots of questions for right. you as well yeah. this morning, Borg. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick little break, first of all, and uh, then we're going to come to these. And I think, uh, as you say, lots to do and people wondering about that. So we'll address all those in just a few moments. Oh, you're very welcome back to the programme. Right, Park, we've got a, a question in from B. Lawless on an email and they write, my apple trees are growing and fruiting very well this summer. I think they're the dwarf types. Lots and lots of small apples and groups. I'm not sure, but do I take away some of the fruit now to give the others room to grow? And do I need to give them some fertiliser and water in this hot weather? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let, let's uh, and first of all, it's been a great year for fruit. But the plants like plum trees, apple trees in particular, are fruiting very, very well. Lots of fruit on them. Nature steps in at this point in June and we get a thing called June drop with all fruit oh. trees. And this is where if you get a heavy crop of, of fruit, nature will abort some of the fruitlets. So if you get a brand, a tree that's very, very heavy in fruit, mm-hmm. you'll often go out maybe at the end of June, the first week of July, and you'll notice quite a lot of the smaller fruit have fallen to the ground. So there's a, 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 a nature steps in in June and it actually will Uh, shed a lot of the excess fruit. So wait for that to happen. And once you see that happening, then you can decide, do you want to thin them further? So typically you're looking on on a dwarf coronet apple tree, you know, depending on the age of the plant, but it shouldn't be allowed to produce more than about 20 apples, 25 apples is enough for the tree to bear. And particularly if you've got clusters of fruit. So if you've got a, you know, at the end of a branch or on a branch, Mm. you've got maybe four or five apples still on the tree after the first week of, of July, then yes, it would be advisable maybe to thin them down to two. So my advice really at the moment is leave it alone until you see the June drop occurring, which will happen normally, it'll happen around this time of year. So in the next two weeks, you'll notice a lot of the fruitlets on the ground, particularly after you get a bit of windy weather. And, and that's just nature dropping the excess fruit. And then after that, if you feel you need to thin them further, then mm. you can certainly do that. Just take off excess fruit with a, a scissors. Um, good at, a good at time to feed them. So again, there are, they are producing lots of energy into the fruit. So something like sudden impact, high potash feed would be adver- very advisable to put on them now. Or grow good rose fertiliser on fruit trees and water them well. So once you apply the fertiliser, give them a good heavy soaking and that's really it. There's nothing really else you'll have to do yeah. with them. Um, if we do get into kind of wet, dampish weather, say in, in a couple of weeks' time, you could uh, give them a little bit of fungicide at that right. time of year just to keep oh, okay. the, the scab and, and to keep mildew off the plants. But other than, overall, apples are relatively easy to grow from now on. Feed them, water them, wait for the June drop to occur and then thin out a, a little bit more of the fruit. fruit yeah. Same would apply to plum trees as well. Uh, any trees that are fruiting heavy, wait for that June drop to occur first. Okay. 
Uh, somebody's reminding us, I noticed there as well, people should leave water out for the birds. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Uh, now, we have a letter as well today. Uh, good. We have, so then they're coming all in medias. from uh, all media, exactly. Um, from a tomb listener, we don't have a name uh, attached, but they say that they have, or had rather, a wonderful selection of flowers from dahlias last year, but they didn't come up this year. So they're wondering, um, is there something that they didn't do with them over the winter, or would you have any idea what well, the problem the might with, be? The thing with dahlias mm. is that they're, you, you, you take a risk by leaving them in the in the ground. They oh, are a tuber. Right. So if we get a very wet winter, which we've had, had this year, yeah. they can just rot away. So And if they haven't reshoot it at this time, if there's no sign of new growth uh, now at the end of June, then they ain't going to come this year. So the, the, the tubers have rotted in the ground over the winter period. So really, to be honest, and a lot will depend on your soil type. If you, if it tends to be a heavy soil that holds water in the winter, you'll find that the dahlias will, will rot in, in a very wet winter. Um, the same thing occurred the year we had the very, very cold frosts. Mm. A lot of people that left dahlias in the ground. Uh, so it's, the simple thing to do is allow them to flower up till November, then lift the tubers and store them for the winter period to be on the safe side. And that also gives you the opportunity to propagate them, to divide them in two and, and plant them out then in kind of mid-April, early May of, of the following year. Um, so really they've just rotted in the ground over the winter it's not okay. anything necessarily the listener did wrong but, just but if you lifted them if they were lifted in say November you normally wait till the frost killed the, the flowers back lift them at that time of year and store them in a dry frost free location for the winter Okay so if you are a dahlia grower or somebody who has a fondness for dahlias to bear that in mind yeah, and maybe the better safe, to take them out Well the safe thing is to, even to take some of them out right. so that you're, at least you're, you're keeping kind of some mother stock there for the winter period that you can, you can divide up in the spring and put back out again. Like potatoes will be in the same family. It's a tuber. Sometimes they'll you so know, anything with the bulb in the ground? Anything, well, anything within a tuber, anything that is susceptible to rotting. Right. So so dahlia tubers are very sensitive to rotting, to heavy wet soils and, or any heavy frost. So if you've got a nice free draining soil in a mild area like a seaside location, generally dahlias come back year after year without even having to lift them. But in inland, particularly in tomb, you know, you could have heavy soil. You're more inland, you're more susceptible to, to heavy frost or in this instance to just wet, wet weather over the winter period. Okay, let's move from dahlias to camellias. And a listener has a camellia in a pot when they got it two years ago. It had flowers, but it hasn't flowered since. But it's healthy and it's fed. Yeah, and, and it, it'll just settle down. Often when you buy them in the garden centres, they're, they're in flower. Yes. And they're in flower because they're grown in very tight pots. Right. Right. And <laughs> Go on. And you wouldn't buy them if they weren't in flower anyway. Well, so. yeah, well, that, well true. <laughs> but but sometimes when you buy them, they're, they're often kept in a pot for a couple of years to, to actually restrict the plant so it, it nearly forces it into flowering and of course when you take it out of that pot and put it into a nice open area or a new pot the plant switch, switches into producing lots of new growth it relaxes uh, exactly that's exactly exactly what happens it's like it's sitting a, down on the couch after the dinner it's exactly the same thing and it's exactly what I was saying about the apple trees by pruning them you actually put them under stress. So the plant, it's like they if they think it's time to reproduce, it's time to produce flower buds and and that's exactly what happens. So the reverse has happened here with the camellia. You've put it into a nice fresh compost, you've given it plenty of feeding, you've given it the perfect conditions and for the next couple of years it will do lots of vegetative growth, lots right. of leaf growth and that's perfectly fine because the more bulky the plant is, the more flower you're going to get. So it's not a case that this plant isn't going to flower, it's just when. Now, you can help to induce that by giving it a, a potash feed. Uh, so, again, maybe a, a little bit of rose feed mm -hmm. or something high in potash. The sudden impact, again, would be very good. Um, you could apply that now 
at this time of year on camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, any of those sort of plants because what, how you feed them now determines how they flower next spring. So there's nothing wrong with the plant. It's just doing exactly what you'd expect it to do. Um, it's it's obviously happily growing in where it is. And uh, so I would just keep it well watered, give it a little bit of the su- sudden impact feed or something like liquid one would be very good as well. High potash feed. And uh, it'll, it may well flower this com- this following spring. Okay. But it will come, it will it will come, come into flower. Yeah. Don't worry okay. about so that. So the plant yeah. is good and healthy. You haven't but bought it just... a dud. <laughs> It will work. And you're not doing anything wrong. No, no, yeah. they're actually doing everything right. <laughs> That's the other right. important thing, because yes. I always think if it's Absolutely. me, what did I not do? No, 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 um, no. Good, okay, so it's just a bit of time and patience. That's all it is. Uh, turnips, a couple of questions on turnips. Uh, first of all, a listener has turnips uh, that are six inches tall now, they're growing well, and they're wondering, do they need feeding? Well, it's a, it's a good idea. With, with turnips you often get in swades, uh, you get this uh, brown heart, which I think we had a couple of weeks back, this boron deficiency, and you can apply a liquid feed that has boron in it. There's a, a very good liquid feed called Vitex Q4, which you simply mix up in water. You apply onto the foliage of turnips or onto the root structure and it contains boron, which stops that brown hearting. So like any plant, of course, turnips and swades and radishes will all benefit from a liquid feed at this time of year. So the one to use is one called Vitex Q4. Mm-hmm. It's because it's got that boron um, micro element in it, which is really good for turnip swades, anything that, that um, can be effective by brown heart, that'll stop it. So if liquid feed it now, repeat it again maybe in four weeks' time and that's all you need to do. And another listener is wondering, um, they have a polytunnel, now they have midges and we'll come to that in a second, but can turnips be sown in a polytunnel? Well, they can, but I mean, I wouldn't put them there because they're... They, they they're take sort of up, an out, they're a hardy sort of Exactly, yeah. and they'll take up too much space. Um, I'd keep... No, you can get quite nice... Um, I mean, we, we call turnips... Well, the, the, we, the, we call be, swades. You're being posh. No, 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 I'm not. But we call swades turnips. But yes. turnips are actually, the, they're, the true turnip has a white root rather than the, the orange kind of root that we're... So you can actually get miniature turnip varieties that would be ideal to grow in uh, a tunnel area. So there's a variety called snowball, which is a small... It only grows to about the size of a tennis ball. And that would be suitable to grow in a tunnel area. But the, the traditional suede or traditional turnip is better planted out of doors. And, and it actually does better. It needs nearly the frost in the winter to, 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 to sweeten it. Exactly, to sweeten it and, and be before harvest. So they're better planted out of doors, to be honest. Keep your tunnel for your tomatoes, your peppers, your chilies, strawberries. All can be sown in the tunnel at, at this time of year. Still not too late. Okay. As plants. And that tunnel has midges and how do we get rid of the midges in the polytunnel? Well, you can, I mean, there's a couple of different ways. I mean, you could use something like we talked about, Gwen, you were going to say something As like I that? shut the door. <laughs> Sorry, that's for, I'm being too smart for my well, own good. Well, that's something that people shouldn't be doing. If, oh. if you've got tunnels, if you've got a tunnel at yeah. the moment, keep the doors open. and the vents open night and day if you can yeah. at all because you need to keep the temperatures down as much as possible, particularly if you've got tomatoes or plants growing there because the humidity levels at the moment are just so high and where you get high humidity in tunnels you get disease problems so keep the ventilation to the maximum that you can so don't close the doors at night time uh, secure them in a way that the wind okay. is going to be- beat them around uh, so go back to the going back to the midges, <laughs> the midges the right midges, yes. so a good way to keep midges out is to grow mint grow mint in a pot the dislike the smell of it um, you can also use uh, you know a treatment called protective C if you wish or pyrethrum but the midges aren't going to do a whole lot of damage to your plants so I would just be inclined to grow a bit of mint in a pot the scent of it will help to keep them away
Great. Now, the blight product. We talked a lot about blight on the programme last week, we I did. know. We probably will just maybe gloss over this uh, briefly. Um, can you just remind people again of the blight product um, and uh, why, the, the listeners wondering, why spray now? Because there's no blight warning in place. Well, the, and the main reason at the moment is because the weather's dry. Prevention better we, than Exactly, cure. and that's the point. Of, like, generally, when we get a blight warning, we're, we're right into we're human... Too late, we're really. too late, or too late. And if you're using a treatment like the one I mentioned last week was Promoximil, that tends to, to protect your plants for at least a three-week period. It's a st- systemic treatment. So it should always be applied in dry weather. So when you get the sort of weather conditions with the moment, it's an ideal time to put it on and prevent the problem from occurring. So if we get a blight warning, say, in 10 days' time, you know that your plants are protected and there's no need to panic. Um, so Promoximal is quite good. It's systemic. Um, you can use traditional ones like Bordeaux mixture or Dithane, but remember that both of those are just contact. They don't protect the new growth that the, the, the potatoes are making and they're making tremendous growth That's at the moment. Great. Looking forward to it. Um, marigolds, they're coming into their own at the moment as yep. well as somebody has some, but something is eating the leaves. Can you tell us what that might be, John? And Belmullard is wondering. Slugs and snails, they absolutely relish marigolds. Do they? And funny enough, marigolds are often used to keep green fly and aphids away. Mm. Um, might be something even to try for the midges in the, in the tunnel. The scent of marigolds, that, that kind of a very strong, they do pungent up, yeah. scent, mm. um, helps to deter pests, most pests, but slugs and snails absolutely adore marigolds and that's all your, that's what the damage is. So a little bit of slug control and that'll see them back. The marigolds will actually grow back again. If you give them a couple of liquid feeds, they'll come back right. as long as the damage isn't, isn't too, severe. too severe. But it, 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 generally speaking, they will regrow again if you give them a feed and we've still got six months of colour from marigolds yet to have, so there's plenty of time. Now, rhododendrons, a yes. uh, listener wondering, can, can they slip a rhododendron plant or can they sow them from seed? Well, you can sow the, the species varieties, anything that's... Um, so, for example, the wild rhododendron ponticum, the, the lovely purple one that we see mm-hmm. growing wild everywhere, that germinates from seed very readily. Um, you, you generally collect the seed around September, October, just as it's beginning to ripen, and that's the time to sow it. The rhododendron seed is very small, so don't cover it when you sow it in a pot or a, or a tray. Again, sow it in exactly the way you would sow any other plant with good quality compost, uh, but sow it on the surface of the soil. Make sure the compost is moist, sow the seed on the surface and then cover with a bit of cling film. Put that into a, maybe a, a tunnel greenhouse or a bright windowsill. And the plants should germinate by March, April of the following year and you can plant them up and grow them on. So any of the, what we call the species varieties, and you'll, you'll see the little seed heads on the rhododendron around August, September, and you can collect the seed from then on. Cuttings are a little bit more difficult in that the cuttings are, rhododendrons are very slow to root from cuttings and they they need high temperatures. So unless you've got a heated propagator, they can be difficult to root. Gosh, because, you know, particularly with the invasive species aspect of rhododendrons, one would have thought that they grow without any difficulty whatsoever. They generally grow from seed, you see. The seed has been cast. Now, the other way you can grow them is to layer them. So that means like strawberry runner, you know, the way the strawberry yes. produces a runner and it touches the ground or a bramble will touch as soon as the stem touches the ground, it starts to root. You can do the same thing with rhododendrons. And if you take the stem and bend it down to ground level and, and even score the underside of the stem just with a, a sharp knife, just kind of uh, peel back the bark. Yeah. And, uh, or, and indeed, you can even make an incision 
into the stem, not cutting it full, <clears throat> the full way through, maybe halfway through, put a matchstick in to keep the wound open and cover that with soil. So pin it down to the soil level. So it's still attached to the mother plant. So it's still getting nutrition. It's still getting water, mm. but it's still, it's also stimulated to produce new roots because it's touching the soil. So layering is often a way that, that mm. rhododendrons propagate themselves. It's where the branch hits the soil, it starts to root and you get a new plant taking off. And that's also the way they spread in woodland areas. Oh, right. So you could try that as well. That that would be an easier way to propagate the stem without um, having to take a cutting. Okay, so w- layering. It's called layering. Rare. Okay, that's an, there we go. New, 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 new thing today. You. Yeah, absolutely. Just have to remember Every day is a school day. Oh, it surely is. Uh, gooseberries. Well, we were talking about gooseberries now. And we were saying yes. there's going to be a great, great crop this year. There is. Uh, um, so a listener uh, tells us that their gooseberry bushes have been attacked by sawfly. Um, what can they do? There's loads of fruit on these bushes um, and there are black currants beside them and they're wondering, are they also now in danger of attack? No, gooseberry sawfly is, is exclusive to gooseberries. They attack anything in the gooseberry family um, and eat the foliage off them and, and the listener is describing exactly the symptoms where the, the sawfly actually starts in the centre of the plant and works its way out. So you get this skeletonization of the stems. So you're only left with the stems and the fruit and no leaves. They they look naked. Now, look at it. It's a temporary problem. So I wouldn't bother spraying the the gooseberries. The damage has been done. There's no point in spraying them now. And you're going to be picking the fruit in the next two weeks. So leave well enough alone. Take the fruit off them. Once you do that, give them a good feed again of seamongous or sudden impact. That'll encourage new growth for this year and uh, the plants will be perfectly okay. So gooseberry sawfly is something that you would treat preventively back in March or April. And I think I did mention, uh, you know, as gooseberry plants come into growth, as the, the canopy of leaves, that's the time to treat for gooseberry sawfly because that's when he, the, leg, the eggs are laid and the caterpillars, they're a small caterpillar and they start to work from the inside out. So when you see the, the damage at this time of year, it's actually too late to do anything with them or it's it's not worth the hassle of, of spraying for it. And you, there's no benefit to be gained by treating them. So... I would leave leave it well enough alone, pick the fruit in two weeks' time, feed the plants at that stage, and then next year, make a note in the little diary, in the mm-hmm. gardener's diary, to treat for sawfly in, in, advance. in April. Normally April, early May is the time. One application, that sees, sees the problem off, um, rather than trying to, to uh, do anything now. Right. It won't spread onto your blackcurrants. Really on blackcurrants, what you're looking for are aphids, green fly, and they, you'll notice those because the leaves become blistered. So it's like blisters on the top of the new growth. Okay, like and, they're, the, and they're underneath the leaf, is they're, they're underneath feeding and the, the, the plant, blisters. the blisters is the way the leaf reacts to the damage, the sucking of, and that's an indication. And if you have black aphids on blackcurrants, all you need to do is to t- cut off six inches of the growth and dump that stems. There's no need to spray there as well. Right. I wouldn't be doing a whole lot of spraying on fruit trees because they're coming up to the time for fruiting particularly soft fruit like blackcurrants, gooseberries, you're coming up at the time where you're going to be taking the fruit from them. So why would you be spraying? Right. Okay. Absolutely fair point. Use the head. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We still have lots more to come though. Now, I want to come to that bird of paradise question, first of all. You like that one, you don't you? It's just very well, uh, there's very descriptive questions, so uh, I suppose that helps the cause. Now, so the listener has a bird of paradise in front of a west window. Mm -hmm. It's 15 inches tall, one leaf at the bottom has died, two more are yellow. They water it, feed it with fertiliser sticks and give it 
sulfate of potash. <laughs> seven leaves left, seven <laughs> inches wide. Will it ever flower? Well, Great question. Great is. question, listener. That's that's the uh, plant, the bird of paradise. A beautiful plant. It's mm. uh, Strelitzia is the is the botanical name, and the flower is like a parrot beak, I suppose. That's like, <gasps> now you know I the know one. the one. You yes, know yes, one. orange, yes, yeah, orange yeah. And blue. It's got kind of big leafy, big leaves, big fond, frondy type leaves. No, the, well, the leaves are no. They're more like a. They're like a. Um, oh, they're like the palmy leaves. Yeah, they're, yeah. no, they're no. They're a big. They're a big yeah. like an elephant's ear yeah. type yeah. of thing. That's what. Yeah, bird of paradise. Now, what to get it to flower? It actually needs a bit of hardship. So it's the sort of too plant... Too good to it. That's it. That's actually what's happening here. I would say there's too much watering and too much feeding going on. Now, the, the, the bit of the potash is fine, but they actually... It's a, it's a plant that dislikes... It likes to be in the same pot for a long time. And that induces it into flowering. So when it gets a bit pot-bound, a bit kind of gnarly and hungry, it actually triggers it into flowering. So leave it in the same pot. It needs a bright, sunny location. It's west facing. Is that what you said? West facing, yes. West facing. So it's getting e- evening sun. You know, ideally, if it was a brighter south facing, um, it's even the type of plant. If we get the really warm heat that we got this week, you could put it outside for a couple of days to really because it likes that really dry high temperature, bright sunlight to get it to bloom. And it also needs to be kept in the same pot until it flowers. So continue what you're doing. Watering it at this time of year, no more than maybe every three weeks. So don't be tempted to keep it wet all the time because that's not going to, that's where you're getting the yellowing of the foliage and the dying of the foliage. So a little bit of neglect. Would do it no harm. Would do it no harm. Exactly. That's exactly what that plant needs. So bright location, watering about once, you know, once in every three weeks, depending mm. on how, if it's only 15 inches high, then it's obviously relatively small. And, um, you know, again, feeding it maybe once every six weeks will be enough at this time of year. And that will bring the strelitzia into flowering. But they are slow to flower. And then once they start flowering, as long as you don't repot them into a bigger pot, they, they tend to flower for a couple of years. And the, the great thing about the flower is that it lasts so long. It's not one of these, you know, the flower won't just go in a week or two. It'll actually, the actual stem and flower lasts for quite a long period when it comes into bloom. So it's a nice novelty plant. Okay, so stop stop feeding it for a while. Stop feeding it and hold back in the washing a little bit and see can you give it a brighter location in the house, a more south. If you had a nice porch, sunny window, conservatory, somewhere really warm, that's what Strelitzia likes. Now, courgette plants, producing plenty of fruit and vegetables, but... When they're about there's three inches long, there's always but when there's about three inches long, the top starts to rot. Why might this okay, be? Okay, so that's bottom end blossom rot. So oh. it's 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 where the flower actually has got wet. Oh, right. So you know, if if the courgette has, if if it's the fruit is three to four inches, obviously the flower it flowered maybe uh, two three weeks ago. So if the end of the flower actually gets wet, it, disease gets into that and the the fruit rots away. So all you do is take off any of the fruit that has rotted or that shows signs of rotting. And with this dry weather, anything flowering now should be perfectly okay. Okay. When you're watering courgettes or anything in the courgette family, cucumbers, melons, anything in that family, make sure you keep the the water away from the flowers and the stem of the plant. So try to water just at the root level, if at all possible. So we often, when we're planting them, raise them up on a kind of a slight raised area and put the water around just below that, Mm. kind of like a moat in around the, the roots. So any sort of uh, water in the flowers, any water in the stem, you get this bottom end 
uh, blossom rot. Bottom so, end blossom rot. rot. Yeah, it's right. just where the end of the fruit actually rots away right. and it's due just to, to, to moisture level. So I wouldn't bother putting any fungicide. If the problem persists, you could use a fungicide on, on the plant, uh, one for fruit and veg. But to, uh, to be honest, I would just take the rotting fruit off at the moment. Just be careful with the washing of them. And I think any of the fruit that's been formed from now on should be perfectly fine. You often get it just on, particularly early in the season. If the spring or early summer has been wet, which it has, you often get that rotting in, in early summer and the first fruits. Uh, lots of green blankers weed in my pond. How do I get rid of it? And can I put some fish into the pond now? Well, the answer is yes. It's a good time actually to introduce uh, fish, things like goldfish, koi, carp. You know, there's a lot of range of, of you know, the, your ordinary traditional goldfish will quite happily live in a, a pond out of doors. So there's, it's a good time to introduce fish in the, in the, into ponds. Um, blanket weed is an algae. Mm-hmm. It's like hair. It's that kind of filament green oh, yeah. algae type uh, filament that, that um, spreads very rapidly at this time of year because of the high light levels. So first of all, you need to take control of it. So if it's very heavy, if you get a, a bamboo cane or a garden rake, and rake out as much of the blanket weed initially as possible. So try and get as much of the, the weed out as possible. Then tr- treat the existing water with uh, barley straw treatment. So it's a liquid, it's a special treatment you get for ponds called barley straw treatment. You mix it in water, you pour it into the pond and that kills off any of the existing algae that's there. Now, it will reoccur if unless you start planting up the pond because what you need to do is reduce the light getting into the actual pond. Right. So if you can put some water lilies or oxygenating plants into the pond at this time of year and it's a good time to replant a pond, then you're you're going to reduce the amount of algae. Um, So it's about getting that balance in the pond. Don't put too many fish in because again, fish in ponds, what they excrete is nutrient and it, it, it tends to help. So that feeds, yeah. It does. Now, fish will also feed on algae. So if you get the balance right, the fish will actually be a plus. They'll help to feed on a certain amount of the algae and a certain amount of the blanket weed. So I would straight away get rid of as much blanket weed as you can, treat the water with, with uh, barley straw treatment. That can be done this time of year. Once that's done, then you could introduce some plants and after a couple of weeks then introduce some fish just two or three at a time depending on the size of the pond and just get the balance right so it's a good time to tackle ponds in general and most people that have ponds are going to be experiencing some algae growth just down to the sheer light levels and heat that we're having so you'll find the barley straw treatment very good or if you're if you're setting up a pond at the moment there you can get um a product called clear water which again should be added to the water when you're starting up a new pond, it takes the chlorine and heavy metals out of the uh, water. Or if you're intru- introducing fish into uh, a pond, the clear water is a, is a good product as well. There's actually aloe vera in it. Oh, right. And it puts a kind of a coating on the fish and helps to protect them for right. until they get used to the actual pond. And are ponds, are ponds quite popular now, Paul? They are, yeah. We, we, we would, you know, particularly we'd have customers that would have ponds for many, many years. Yeah. And they've just got the balance right so you don't get this, you get a small bit of algae bloom yeah. every year, but no, no Nothing big issue. major. No, 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 no. So yeah, they're still very popular. Very okay, popular. Yeah. So, and they're nice to have. They're a nice feature in a garden. Uh, yes, of course. And I suppose fish can be very relaxing and to it's sit amazing and how watch big they'll, and stuff like that. How big they'll grow in, in you know, even in a relatively small pond. It's amazing how goldfish and, uh, because the, the size they grow is determined by the size of the actual water capacity. Oh. So the bigger the area, the bigger the, the goldfish are, 
fish like koi they or kind carp. of grow into it is it well they grow if if, if you have a, a, a goldfish in a small bowl he'll, hmm. he'll reach a certain size put the same goldfish into a pond you could hmm. double or treble his size oh interesting so they're yeah it's determined by the size, by the capacity of water that's there. I suppose the, the nutrition levels and the freedom that they have. That they as have. Well. Yeah. Okay. Um, ants. We quickly answer this. Lots of ants in my garden and greenhouse. Do they do any harm, and what do they feed on? Well, they feed on a number of things. They feed on dead Green matter. Stuff. They feed on on on, on uh, insects as well. But funny enough, they also feed on uh, the honeydew that we talked about. You know, the stuff that the aphids excrete. Yes. They actually take that syrup as well and feed off that. So they're they're kind of a. Are they a pest? They're not really, unless they're undermining. Say you had um, plants in the garden and they were they were burrowing nesting. in a nesting. Yeah. yeah, they can move soil and and that can be problematic as well. Yeah. But in general. They're, they're more a nuisance than, than being They're just a, there. They're there. They're part of the eco-cycle, yeah. Uh, yeah. Listener would like to cover some timber trellis with fast-growing climbers. Flowering, okay. if possible, can you recommend some different types of flowers? Okay, well, a good time, first of all, to plant climbing plants. Exactly like I was saying at the top of the programme, that the soil conditions are good, it's nice and warm, so it's a good time to put them in. What I would be looking at is... I suppose things like climbing and rambling roses, great time to plant them at this time of year. Honeysuckle, it's a good time to put that plant in. The tropolinium that actually somebody mentioned, the um, perennial nasturtium, you could plant that at this time of year. Um, and a really, really good plant. The clematis, lovely variety called Rebecca, uh, which is in flower at the moment. It's a nice red variety or the president, which will be coming into flower now very shortly. So I would just go with a good mixture of different types of... Uh, it's on a wooden trellis, isn't it? So it is, yes. So anything that has a good twining habit, so honeysuckers, clematis, climbing roses, and uh, wisteria if it's a, if it's a large trellis, um, the tropolinium, the perennial nasturtium, and go for that kind of a mixture, and you'll get a huge range of colours that will flower now, but will also carry through till October, November. And just actually on uh, on the creeping nasturtium, flame creeping nasturtium, uh, somebody got one recently, and it's growing really fast. And Which will it do? flower? And should they give it food? Well, yeah, they're they're growing actively at the moment. So the time you can st- certainly feed them, and again, a liquid feed would be ideal. Liquid one, um, put on put that on maybe um, you know every two weeks is is, is plenty for for perennial nasturtium. It'll come into flower about the middle of July and flower then right through to the autumn. And you'll find next year it'll actually come into flower earlier. So anybody that has the plant since last year, they're actually flowering at the moment. Right. So from about the middle of July, you'll get colour, but it'll flower then right through into into the heavy frost in winter. Okay, a couple of people tell us that their lawns aren't looking all that great, a bit no. white and yellow after cutting. Is there anything that they can give well, to make the, a you, greening you effect? You can actually, coming up, if, if particularly if, if we're going to get that bit of moisture in Tuesday, Wednesday, if you fed the lawn, you know, say tomorrow or Monday would be, so put on just a straight lawn feed. There's no need for moss control or weed control, just uh, something like park and fairway. Uh, apply that now. And um, if we get a couple of showers of rain, that'll wash it in and it'll green up the lawn again. Okay. Uh, oops, I've missed my question there now. Apologies. My fault, my fault. Um, now, sorry, here we go. Uh, apologies, Pork. Um, after pressing a button and I shouldn't have pressed it. Uh, we'll get back up here. Um, can people set wildflowers earlier? Um, they're really high now, but no colour and they're dying to see some colour. So can they plant them a little earlier in the year um, to, well, you can, for colour now or is it just something that they'll have to wait with? No, well, what you'll find with with, um, with wildflower meadows is that you a lot of the annual, generally when you buy a wildfire flower mix, you'll have a range of annuals, biennials and perennials. So what you're finding is that the annuals, those that flower in their first year, will flower this year. But others 
like uh, the poppies or um, cornflowers may not flower till the following year. So, uh, you know, sowing them that tad earlier, yes, you may have got colour maybe a week earlier, but what you're really playing for next year, you're going to find that coming into May, June, July of next year, many of those plants that you've sown this spring mm. will actually come into flower. So you're so sowing a, a, a wildflower meadow, you get a certain amount, maybe 30% of the plants will flower in their Indeed, first year, right. but really the second year it's is right. where you get 90%, 100% of the plants to come into bloom. So, you know, you Yes, maybe if you saw them a couple of weeks earlier, you'd have them in flower at this stage. But really, bear in mind that the wildflower meadow is actually going to look an awful lot better next, next year. year. The other thing you can do coming into the autumn is to plant some spring flowering bulbs. So again, daffodils, uh, things like anemones, which are flowering at the moment, crocuses, you can plant in September, October, November for that bit of spring colour, that early colour before the wildflower meadow comes into flower in the summer. Okay, I think this will be our final one. Um, somebody is wondering if they still have time to plant up baskets and pots yes. and what to use. Baskets and pots looking great at the moment. They um, are. Actually, I just want to mention, I noticed when I was driving in this morning, Carrick National School outside Ballinlaw, whoever is looking after the window boxes, credit Big to you. They the look fantastic. And you know, the, 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 the success in baskets and hanging baskets and window boxes, I mean, you'll often see it, particularly around Dublin, some of the pubs that are just mm. oozing colour. It's down to just regular watering and regular feeding. There's nothing magic. There's nothing... The there's plants not, aren't... not that you have to have a special skill or... There's no, the plants are exactly the same as you buy in any garden centre. There's nothing magic about them. It's down to that critical thing of regular watering and regular feeding. And if that's done... And typically, most people hang up the hanging basket and let's and be honest it. about it, we forget about it. <laughs> yeah, or it's just left a day too long and it just starts to get dry and starts to look sad. Right. Regular watering feeding is the secret to, to really good baskets. Is it still plenty of time? Of course it is. You've got, I haven't planted mine yet, to be quite there honest. You go now. So there's still plenty of time right up to the middle of July. You can still plant. Remember that they're going to flower right up till the end of November. So there's plenty of time to plant them up. And with this sort of weather, it's amazing how quickly they'll come into flower. But remember, regular watering, regular feeding. Okay, and lots of plants. Uh, yeah, pack in the there. plants because you get lots of colour and you get that bit of competition going between the plants. Uh, but certainly, over the next two weeks, you can do your baskets, containers, or bedding plants in general out in the garden. It's really good weather for planting them. Great stuff. Porik, thank you so much. No uh, busy no. week ahead. Hopefully, and yeah. uh, we'll have lots more for people again Plenty next, to talk about next Saturday. Week. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great weekend. Uh, that's it for me. Michael Neary is up next after the news at 10 with Angelina Nugent. Until next Saturday, just after 7. Have yourselves a great weekend. Good morning to you.